Good morning, once again. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Ron Hudson, lead pastor, and happy Palm Sunday. Uh, I miss having everybody here. Um, I might, I might actually put up a selfie. Uh, let me see if I could. Uh, yeah, I could do this. I have, I have an iPad with me right here. If I go to the camera app, let's see how this works. C A M, and you guys can see um, what I see. Uh, we have someone on the camera back there. We have Pastor Joe. We have Ed in the back. And upstairs in the top corner, I don't know if you can see him up there. There's, there's Joe. We are social distanced. Um, um, and I miss you guys uh, so much. Um, I miss uh, having the, the palm branches. Someone always folds them in. I think uh, Roger and the gang always folds them into the crosses for me every year since I still don't know how to do them. But I trust that you're at home. I trust that you're warm, that you're safe. I trust that you have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And this morning is a Sunday of celebration. Um, it's a Sunday of admiration, of expectation, that God is going to do something and that we've waited for this for a long time. That's what, what Palm Sunday was all about when Jesus rode into town. It's excitement and expectation, and that's a tricky business. Um, I always talk about this with movies. The more you expect the movie to be great, then the more likely you are to be let down. The more you um, expect the movie to be terrible, then the greater chance that the movie might actually be awesome. So when you set your expectations high, then it's really hard to meet those. In fact, exceeds expectations is the definition of uh, great. And so... It really depends on our expectations. And so the people had really, really high expectations during this time. They had really high expectations during this time. And this week, we're going to look at three different groups of people who all expected something different from Jesus. Something different from Jesus. So first up, we have Mary in John chapter 12. And this is right before Palm Sunday. In John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover... Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, maybe you've heard the story of Lazarus. Lazarus died. Jesus came and called him out of the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. They unbound him, and he was alive. And so he's visiting this house where the Lazarus family lived with the sisters. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Imagine that, hanging out with this friend who he raised from the dead. That's pretty amazing. So it continues on in verse number three. Mary, and this is the first person that we're looking at, is Mary. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of his perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance of his perfume. And it was customary to wash feet when you had guests over. But to use an ointment was crazy. I mean, this was really expensive. Fragrant spices in those days were a means of investment. So you could, you could buy fragrant spices, and that was a way of saving up. Because at any time, you could go and exchange the fragrant spices for money. You could take it to the market and exchange them. And these spices probably cost about a year's worth of wage for a regular laborer. 
a year's worth of wage for a regular laborer, fragrant spices. A pound of ointment is about a year's worth of wage for a man at the time. So she wiped his feet with her hair. Why? Why did she wipe his feet with her hair? Because Jesus brought her her brother back from the dead. Her brother that she loved so much. If someone brought your loved one back from the dead, I bet you'd be willing to give anything to show them appreciation. And she had a very different view or expectation of Jesus than the next guy. The next guy is in verse number four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who is about to betray him, so not a great guy, he said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And Judas was so worried about the poor. Actually, the Bible tells us very clearly that Judas didn't care about the poor. Judas um, really only cared for himself. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, I don't know why they would put a thief in charge of the money bag, but um, it is what it is. Uh, maybe it was Jesus proving that money isn't the thing that, that um, determines our, our sufficiency. But Judas was in charge of the money bag. He said this, having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. And so Judas is another guy. Judas had a very different expectation of Jesus than Mary did. Judas' expectation of Jesus was for him to get paid. Some people have this expectation of Jesus now too. Maybe you fall into this category of expectation. You think, if I do the right things, the right Jesus things, then I'll get paid. If I just do the right things, enough Jesus things, enough church things, then I will be wealthy. I will be taken care of. I will have monetary possessions. I will be uh, uh, blessed with money. So, This is Judas' expectation. And maybe when you don't get paid, you're convinced you didn't try hard enough. I know people like that. They they think, well, if I didn't get paid, if I didn't get the money and I did the Jesus things, then I must not have tried hard enough. Maybe I need to pray harder. Maybe I need to read more Bible. Maybe I need to um, do something a little different. Um, Or maybe they think God is mad at them, or even worse, that God is not real. But Jesus didn't come to make you wealthy or prosperous in materialism. Jesus didn't come to give us the American dream. Jesus came to make dead men come alive. And if you're following Christ just because you want uh, possessions, because you want to get paid, because you want to make a lot of money, it's not going to work. I can promise you that. It's not going to work. That's not why we should follow Christ. But there was another group of people that day. There was another group of people in this passage. In John chapter 12, it wasn't that day, but it was in this passage. In John chapter 12, verse 12, it says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So a large crowd came to the feast. They were really excited about Lazarus because he had been brought back from the dead. They were excited to see Jesus. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And I underline that right there, the king of Israel, the king of Israel, because that is what their expectation was. Their expectation was the king 
of Israel. They wanted a king. And if Judah's expectation was, Jesus will help me get paid, then the people's expectation was that Jesus will help me win. They wanted a king. And they wanted a conqueror. They wanted a political, economic conqueror. Someone who was going to help them have victory over Roman oppression. And they thought Jesus was going to build an army. Jesus is going to overthrow the political enemies, the economic oppressors, and he is going to make us great again. That's not why Jesus came, though. There are Christian brothers and sisters all over the world who are poor, who are oppressed, and they worship in secret even. So if there's people all over the world that worship in secret and maybe they don't have money, and does that mean they don't really follow Jesus well enough? That they're not good enough? That God doesn't love them as much as he loves Americans? No, not at all. Not at all. That's not why Jesus came. If Jesus came to win, to help us win economically or politically or socially, then the coronavirus is a great equalizer. It's a great proof. It's a reality. Just this week, I've seen articles about pastors who died from COVID-19. Young people, old people, people in countries all over the world are dealing with this virus. And if your expectation of Jesus is that he's going to make you win all of the time, then your faith will not survive the next few weeks and months. Jesus came riding into town, celebrated by people who had an expectation that Jesus never claimed to offer. Jesus didn't say, I've come that you might win over the people you don't like. And if Jesus didn't come to make me materialistically prosperous, if he didn't come to make me win over people I feel are my enemies, then why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Well, in John 12, verse 14 and 15, they quote a prophecy from the Old Testament. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. And it quotes this, this passage from Zacharias. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And check out the passage from Zechariah. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king. So they were right. It was called a king. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having Salvation is he. And having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus came bringing salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from what exactly? I can see how it would be easy to interpret this in a lot of different ways. Jesus will save me from poverty. Jesus will save me from political oppression. Jesus will save me from the bully. Jesus will save me from sickness. But the salvation that Jesus offered is defined in Matthew chapter one. In Matthew chapter one, an angel actually explains to Joseph exactly what kind of salvation Jesus will bring to his people. Joseph was, was, had found out that Mary was pregnant and he was worried about this woman and what he should do, and he was thinking about putting her away, of breaking it off quietly. But an angel comes to Joseph and he tells him this. He says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. 
So he tells him, this is what his name is going to be, and then he explains exactly what he will save people from. For he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. The angel explains that the baby, the Christ child, is coming to save his people from their sins. What about poverty? What about the plagues? What about the Democrats? What about the Republicans? What about COVID-19? Are you even watching the news, Jesus? Maybe you think that and you wonder about that. And you're like, sins? I've got a lot more problems than sins. Maybe that's what you're thinking at home. Sins, really? He will save his people from his sins. You mean like lying and stealing and cheating? Changing a few numbers? Momentary lapse in judgment, perhaps? Drinking a little too much or getting carried away? Telling someone off? Giving someone a piece of your mind? Sleeping around? Gossiping? Overeating? Overindulging? Taking the last piece of pizza? Jesus came to save us from binging on Oreos and Netflix? Yeah. When it comes to sin, we have this view oftentimes. A lot of people think when it comes to sin, what does it matter if I do what I want to do as long as nobody gets hurt? As long as I'm not hurting anybody, then what does it matter if I do whatever I want to do? I mean, really, whose business is it anyways? And the problem with sin is, whether we believe it or not, whether we're honest about it or not, whether we could see it on the outside or not, whether you admit it or not, whether you want it to be true, whether your intentions are correct and pure and right or not, sin is always exploitation. Sin is always exploitation. You're either exploiting yourself or another person or maybe even God. What is exploitation? Well, exploitation is finding a loophole or using something or someone in a way they were not designed to be used. Now, I'm a huge nerd, and part of, um, part of my gig is that I find exploits um, I like to find exploits in hardware or software, and then I can let the company know that I found this and they can fix it. Um, and that's a cool thing that I get to do as a nerd, as a technology guy. Another thing I like to do is find exploits in um, games, in board games, any kind of game that I get to play. I always try to find the loophole or the exploit. Um, for instance, my family, uh, I'm stuck with them all the time now. Uh, we, are, we are in quarantine together as if it wasn't um, bad enough normally. But anyways, we play board games. And there's this game that they, they got. I think we got it for Christmas from somebody. If you're watching, I'm sorry. Don't, please don't take this the wrong way. But it's called Quicks. It's a terrible game. It's no fun. I'm not a big dice game guy because you, there's no real way to win. You're just rolling randomly. And so you're just randomly going to lose or win at the end of the day. But I found out if you don't take a number on your turn, you get to cross off the penalty box. And once all four of your penalty boxes are crossed out, the game is over. So all you have to do is just fail four turns in a row and the game cannot go on any longer. 
It's a pretty cool little hack. It's a nice little exploitation. Unfortunately, my arch nemesis Farkle, there is no exploit. It's just, it's just a nightmare. You're just going to, to lose everything to Farkle. It's so, so terrible. But anyways, exploitations. Exploitations. Um, if you can refuse to take, a, take your turn, then you can exploit it. And so, so I exploit this rule. And sin is when we use ourselves or other people in a way that God did not design. Just like when I use a rule in this game in a way that it was not designed because the people who made the game did not think of people who wanted to lose as quick as possible in, in the game. So that just like when we exploit a rule like that, Sin is when we exploit our bodies or someone else in a way that God did not design. And when we do that, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this. says the wages of sin, that's the payment of sin, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we exploit ourselves or other people, even if we don't see it on the outside, even if we had really good intentions, then a little piece of us dies inside. A little piece of us dies inside. Maybe you look fine on the outside, maybe they look fine on the outside, and they say they're good, and you say that you're good, but you know that a little something is dying inside of you when you sin. When you do something wrong, you know it, it kills you, it bothers you. That's where defensiveness comes from. That's where we get mad and we get angry and we, we have all these feelings and we, we're in denial and we want, we want that feeling to go away. And we do whatever we can to make that feeling go away and we wanna say, no, that's, that's not sin, it can't be. And that thing that's dying inside of you is, is your spirit. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. That's the part of you that communes with God. It's the part of you that was made to live in God's kingdom. And when Mary is washing Jesus' feet, she wasn't expecting him to make her wealthy. She wasn't expecting him to help her win over the people in her life that she didn't like or, or the politicians or the policies or her boss or any of that stuff. When Mary was washing Jesus' feet, she was washing his feet because what was dead had been made alive. And the dying that was in her brother had been stopped. And not only was it stopped, it was transformed and reversed. And Lazarus was brought back from the dead. And not only was Lazarus brought back from the dead, but inside of her, the death from sin and brokenness that she had, that, that I have, that we all have experienced, was stopped. We sing a song called Death Arrested. And death was arrested inside of Mary. And she's began to live again. And the spirit inside of her, Jesus had brought back from the dead. And so she washed his feet with her tears and she spent extravagantly to show him her appreciation. Because what was dead had been made alive. She's washing his feet because what was dead is alive. Outwardly her brother and inwardly her heart. And that's why we celebrate communion as a church. Because in communion, we remember that Jesus took his own body and allowed it to be broken for us. That he shed his own 
blood for us, that he took upon himself our own death, our own sin, my spiritual death, your spiritual death. He took it upon himself so that we could be made alive in his resurrection. And that's worth everything. That's worth everything. That's worth proclaiming Hosanna and saying praise God and being excited and giving high fives and making little crosses and celebrating. It's worth everything. Because God has, through Jesus, saved us from our sin and from our death. And we remember what it costs. We remember Jesus' body broken so that we could have life. We remember Jesus' blood shed so we could be in God's kingdom. And it's awesome. It's awesome. It's so cool that we could do this together today, virtually in our homes. And we have delivered these uh, little cups and wafers all over the city, all over our county. And you are sitting there in your home about to have communion with your church family. And I am about to have communion with you in your family. And I think that's so amazing. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll have an offering. And then I'll ask Pastor Joe to come and lead us in communion. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being our king. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for communion and the opportunity to remember through this tangible, physical way, the juice and the wafer, to remember your body and your blood that was shed for us so that we could have life. God, we trust you. And in this moment, as we take communion, as we, we take your body and your blood, and we remember what you've done for us, we also remember that you have us and we could trust you that we could praise you and we could continue to be the body of Christ, to love one another and to do what we're supposed to do, even in such a time as this. We thank you and we praise you this morning for being Hosanna, for being our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Each week we take up an offering. Um, if you would like to give, uh, you could give like me. Uh, that's pretty much your only option unless you want to drop something off at the church or mail it in. But you can click on the little give link and that will take you to our, our online giving page. And We have a little video that explains exactly how to do that.